What is up, Football Nation? It is episode 13 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters podcast. Coming to you from Buffalo, New York on June 27, 2012. Thanks for taking the time out to join us. Uh, great show planned for you today. The second of our kind of two fantasy football-focused shows. Our guest today is Jay Clemens, uh, the lead fantasy writer at um, Bleacher Report. Yeah, I got it wrong last time, I guessed. <laughs> uh, last week, Michael Fabiano was on the show. I want to thank Michael Fabiano, uh, the head fantasy guy from NFL.com. NFL.com and NFL Network and all the great work that they are doing with fantasy. We talked a lot about that last week. If you want to check that out, you can find it at footballnation.com. You can also find it on iTunes. Um, let's see. Where are we at here, Don? Uh, we're going to have Jay Clemens on in a bit. Um we're going to do a show next week, despite it being 4th of July week, so we're going to keep going right on through to the season here. We're about one month away from training camp starting, when I think things will really pick up. Uh, we have some good stuff planned for the future, but before we can get to anything, including a really good interview with Jake Clemens about fantasy football, we have to do three things, so let's do it. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. My stories this week kind of start negative and get happier. Like I suppose they should, but... Uh, Robert Griffin III, unfortunately... This is bizarre. Yeah, through no doing really, of, I mean, it's some doing of his own, whatever the accusations are, but he's the target of extortion. Uh, extortion by Richard Kamir Hurd, who's 25 years old. He was a former Baylor basketball player. Supposedly, he knows something about Robert Griffin that he threatened to take to the media if Griffin doesn't give him some, paid a, quote, substantial... S- Sum of money. What a jerk. Yeah, so what that is, we're not sure. Uh, kudos to Robert Griffin for doing the right thing and kind of, instead of hiding from this and just paying the guy, going to the authorities and blowing that, this guy in. I mean, that's an FBI thing, right? I mean, extortion Extortion's goes right deal. to the FBI, I think. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> off the top of my head, but uh, yes, Heard was arrested by an undercover FBI agent. Um, yeah, that's big trouble. Heard's mother, Marlene Heard, told that she'd heard her son was in jail, but wasn't aware of the details. Whatever, <laughs> quote, whatever it is, I pray by the grace of God that he's innocent. That's one. Way so to... this isn't as negative a story as some, because I mean, at least it's not the athlete that's causing the trouble or anything. And like I said, good for Robert Griffin for doing the right thing and uh, loading the authorities, and hopefully for his sake. Whatever was going to come out, I mean, it's going to have to, I suppose, if this goes to court. But uh, hopefully it's no big deal and it's something he can uh, work through. I wonder what it is that this guy thinks is worth big bucks. I don't know. I mean, you it would have to be I mean? criminal, right? Or just it had to be really inflammatory. Something with drugs? Drugs or yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to guess because it would sound bad, I guess. Right. I have something in mind, but I'm not going to say it either. All right, my first story today, uh, Michael Vick, well, right now in Ohio, not too far from here, is the NFL Rookie Symposium, which is something that was kind of skipped last year because of the lockout, right, but, but right. I think they did end up having it to some degree. 
Maybe the NFL Players Association ran the show last year instead. Okay, yeah. It was to some degree held, but it's back this year, of course, as it always was. And Michael Vick was there to talk to the players. So was Pac-Man Jones. Uh, so definitely they went the route of look at these guys who are big-time idiots. Yeah. Don't do what they did. Uh, Michael Vick had a really great, great quote, though, that I wanted to share. This is what he said to the players in regards to Commissioner Goodell. Fellas, don't get it twisted. This man is the real deal. He don't play. If he asks you a question, answer with honesty. Tell him the truth. If you get into some trouble, be honest, truthful, forthright. Don't play with this man. He'll love you to death, but the minute you cross him, he'll be all the way turned up. All right. So (laughs) Michael Vick obviously knows what he speaks of having run into some trouble with uh, Roger Goodell in terms of uh, dogfighting in April 2007. Uh, Vic, of course, was the first pick in the 2001 draft, and this article comes to us via Florio and Pro Football Talk, but I thought it was really funny. Um, did they have a rookie symposium for your job at the bank, Don? No. No? Well, they had an orientation, yeah, but I didn't hear anything about the commission. No. Uh... I think more jobs should have, you know, rookie symposiums. We should... We should be asked to speak at the podcast rookie symposium. You know, <laughs> I mean, is it all about like how not to get in? Tr- I mean, football's a different animal because these are all guys that are about to be millionaires. I think so. they have like media coaching there. Yeah, you know uh, how to deal with interviews. I media. guess they need it. It sounds silly, but I suppose they need it. They're about to be financial. People are there. I think to- right. Yeah, if you assume they weren't paid in college, then <laughs> they're about to be rich and right. Thrust into the limelight and all that fun stuff. Commissioner don't play, though. He does not. Uh, my second story has to do with Drew Brees, and it has nothing to do with bounty talks, which is nice. Uh, Drew Brees is teaming up with PACE, P-A-C-E, Protecting Athletes Through Concussion Education, which is a program that provides free concussion testing for more than 3,300 middle schools and high schools and youth sports organizations. And that's awesome. Uh, along with Drew Brees, Brianna Scurry, Mike Richter, uh, and Giants linebacker Carl Banks are all taking part nice. in this initiative. Nice they they have to do something about this. We've talked about it in the past. You're going to find parents pulling kids from sports at a younger age if players keep dying and just tragedies keep happening. So. Real Sports had a really nice piece about girls' soccer and how many concussions there are from headers in girls' and, soccer, yeah. from headers. And there's a company, I guess, giving – or they're promoting headbands. these headbands yeah. as potential saviors, but it's actually been making it worse. Really? I guess, you know, the girls are more reckless with the headband. I know That's in, one thing, and maybe the headband doesn't actually do anything. I, I know, know in modified soccer, um, I'm not sure it's countrywide or just was at our school, but the goalies actually had to wear, like, helmets. But I'm not – I mean, that's. I don't think that's where most of the concussions are coming from, from taking shots to the head. It's mostly from probably head-to-head contact when going up in the air for a header. But it's nice to see that these athletes and this company that I'd never heard of, honestly, before this, are working together. Is this the same company that makes pacemakers? I don't believe so, no. no. All right. Well, my second thing is a Drew Brees story as well, and that is that if you put two and two together, you probably think that Drew Brees is getting closer to signing a long-term deal with the Saints. Uh it was said today the two still have a ways to go. There's about 21 days or so left, but Breeze said the following things. I'm confident and always have been that we'll get a long-term 
deal accomplished. This has been a stressful offseason in a lot of ways. There has been a lot of distractions for everybody. I'm not using that as an excuse other than just stating it as fact. That has delayed things quite a bit. How can everyone think that when there's been no proof, uh, well, that's him going on about the bounty, but he also said that he's never considered sitting the whole season out. He loves the game too much. Um, so he would have accepted the franchise. Yeah, he will if it comes to that. He's saying he's he saying will, will pl- play. He would never sit the season out. So relief for Saints fans. Uh, I would expect that the day that it's due, they'll get it done. Yeah. What are they? Do you question what the owner's doing a little bit here? Don't you just well, look at the biggest contract in the league? Right. But for- I, you know, I think they had to deal with the bounty stuff. Right. He also just bought an NBA team. So you think this is just a timing and thing? And like Breeze hasn't slow? missed anything. No, that's true. You know, he didn't. I'm glad he missed those OTAs. But every time, that's you know, yeah. I mean, every time a quarterback and it they, got Chase Daniel really good experience with the first team. Breeze didn't need it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. That's true. Because Drew Breeze misses four games, and we're going to be really grateful. Saints fans are going to be really grateful that Chase Daniel got all that time yeah. in the off season to work with the first teamers. Sure. And it would not be crazy for an NFL quarterback to have to miss a few games. But anytime these big quarterback contracts come up. Whoever's up for the newest contract becomes the richest quarterback in history. I think it happened with Brady. It happened with Manning. Breeze is in his prime. He's going to be the highest-paid quarterback in history, I would imagine. It doesn't seem like a hard thing. Right. You just put the biggest contract a, in front of him. Right. But. I mean, you don't have to go nuts, but give him more money than any other quarterback in the league is making right now. I guess there's details beyond just the price, too. Sure. You know, no trade clauses. and Who knows? But I was somewhat – I took a breath today with the news. It just – the way Breeze sounded, it just seems like they're... Uh, it had to be a thing you were 90% sure was going to happen anyway. I didn't expect the Saints to walk away from Drew Breeze, I can tell you that That would much. be insane. So, All right, my last story, uh, Brandon Jacobs. I don't believe we actually brought this up on the air, but I know... It, I think we did. If we didn't, it was cut for another story. But anyway, Brandon Jacobs was sent by a fan, Joseph Armento. Three bucks. Six-year-old boy and his four-year-old brother. Uh, we're taken out on an outing by Brandon Jacobs. This kid, if we didn't mention it before, emptied his piggy bank of $3.36 and sent it to California to try to keep Brandon Jacobs with the Giants because it was too his late. favorite player. Yeah, he didn't realize it was too late or something. Dumb but, uh, kid. <laughs> but while uh, in New Jersey, Jacobs was still in New Jersey for some reason, he took to the bounce Joseph house. Armento and his brother out to the bounce houses and I guess uh, his mom said that Brandon Jacobs was in there playing, getting dirty, jumping around. And they ended up getting the place to themselves. I yeah, think. going room to room. I'm not sure what this means. Like this must be one of these like rooms with like the tra- like when I hear bounce house, I think one of them inflatable ones. Like, right, like, but I think it was thing. a whole place. Yeah, so it's like a place full of. And like, Jacobs got it closed. You, you know, cl- he got private access for right. him and the guys. So uh, and I think maybe he had a kid or two there. He had a ton of fun with the kids. The kids had a ton of fun at the end. Uh, gave him five bucks back. He gave him a helmet signed with, with number 27. It was a Giants helmet, even though he wears 45 with the 49ers now. And it says, uh, to Joe, thanks for being a fan. God bless Brandon Jacobs. And like he said, on his way out, he handed the kid five bucks and said that was his money back plus interest. That's so, so cheap to me, though. <laughs> Come on, Jacobs. Well, he, five bucks? I thought that, too, a little I would have given the kid college if I'm Jacobs but or something. But he, he did close the bounce house for him and his friends. I don't know what that costs. So. Yeah, the experience might be cooler. It's easy to spend someone else's money, right? Right. And like, if you could be told today that 
you're going to hang out with Drew Brees or Eddie Vedder. At or, a bounce house? Or they're going to send you – yeah, sure, at a bounce house. Yeah. Or they're just going to send you a check for twenty grand. I, you would have to take the experience at the bounce house, right? Have to. So Make sure Miss Caster didn't find out about it. <laughs> <laughs> cool little experience for these kids and uh, good for Brandon Jacobs. All right, my last thing today. I love Maurice Jones-Drew. I think we both like him. Yeah. We've said he's – very underrated. Fantasy, but, uh, he likes fantasy football. He's talking crazy. Yeah. Uh, he said today, uh, to he told ESPN Radio in Denver uh, in regards to if he believed he could catch Emmett Smith for the NFL's all-time rushing record, he said, quote, yeah, I think it's doable. I definitely think it's doable. Um, <laughs> no, it's really not. Uh, let's look at the numbers here. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew has rushed for 6,854 yards in six seasons. Uh, in Emmett Smith's first six seasons with the Cowboys, he piled up 8,956 yards. Uh, Smith finished his career with 18,355 oh. yards. No way. Which means Jones-Drew needs 11,501 yards. First of all, if he lasts another five years, that's an 11-year career, which is great for a running back. Mm-hmm. And to catch that record, he'd need... Five straight 2,000-yard seasons. Yeah, not doable. No. Uh, I thought there was a great <laughs> a great NFL.com and an article about it. It's written by Dan Hanzoos, and the last line in the article is, in other words, MJD would have to morph into Bo Jackson from Tecmo Bowl to win <laughs> this game of thorns. Doable pretty much is a stretch. Uh, so, yeah, MJD, great dude, not breaking Emmett Smith's record anytime soon. Uh, so sorry no, about that. No, for sure he's not. Not even in the world of Mike Trembath. That's an inside joke. Is Maurice <laughs> Jones-Drew breaking this record? Uh, but that's going to do it for three things for today. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Jay Clemens from Bleacher Report and talk fantasy football. Our guest today is from Detroit, Michigan, and is a graduate of Michigan State University. He also earned a master's degree from Wayne State University. He has spent over a decade writing for magazines, newspapers, and various online mediums. In 2008, he was named Fantasy Sports Writer of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association for his work at Sports Illustrated. Today, he is the lead fantasy writer at Bleacher Report. Warm sportscasters, welcome to the very talented Jay Clemens. What's up, Jay? Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great today. Actually, as and I'm sure uh, this was the case last time we talked, but I, I live in Atlanta now. From oh, Detroit well, and yeah. all that stuff. But, uh, but right now, I've been living in Atlanta for, what, six years? So. Yeah, I said you're from Detroit. I know, I know. Just being semantics, I guess. Right, yeah. to clarify. So you, uh, <laughs> go to any, you go to the Braves games and stuff? Uh, they, the Braves, uh, Turner Field is, is roughly a three and a half minute drive from my condo, but I have not been in any games. I know we're going July 4th when the Cubbies are here because my wife's a Cubs fan, uh, and I'll probably go at some point in July. Uh, you know, that period of the summer where training camps haven't started yet and, and you're, yeah. you know, we don't have a magazine to put out this year. So it's a, it's a little less hectic right now. So hopefully I'll try to find some time in uh, early July to go to a game or two. Well, we've been looking forward uh, since we've been doing this because, as you said, it does get a little slow with the football news. You know, we're looking forward to just spending some time to just kick back and talk about fantasy. And I noticed 
you mentioned magazines. It seems like the ma- the fantasy football magazine industry, maybe because they didn't get to put any magazines out last year, very few came out because of the lockout and the uncertainty. It seems like they wanted to get an even earlier jump than normal on it. It seemed like magazines came out really early this year. But that's okay with me. That just means it's time to start thinking and talking about fantasy football. And I guess the first thing I want to ask you is when you sit down and, and you start looking ahead and thinking about the fantasy football season, can you remember a year where there's been so many different players who could potentially be first-round picks in, say, a 12-team league? Uh, I, I don't know if it's any different in terms of a talent perspective, but I think people have kind of opened their eyes. And, and maybe I, I really think the injuries to, to uh, Adrian Peterson and Rashard Mendenhall play a big role in this. But those two guys, like, you love if, – if you knew Toby Gerhardt was going to play – Say, say let's, let's pretend that Adrian Peterson goes on the pup list, which probably won't happen, but say he does. That's six weeks out. You're still not going to take Toby Gerhardt in round one or two, even though he may give you round or one or two production, uh, or at least round three production for the first six weeks. Uh, with the loss of Peterson and Mendenhall, in terms of being guys that you can absolutely count on for 1,400 yards and probably 14 touchdowns, it, that kind of drop has allowed other positions especially quarterback and receiver, to move up. And uh, I, I don't think anyone's going to be taking Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham higher than, you know, 15 or 16. So to fill that void for round one, it's definitely a quarterback and a receiver. You know, one thing that surprised me early is how high everyone seems to be forecasting Chris Johnson. I mean, it was a really tough year for him last year, but maybe it is the uncertainty with a lot of backs. And obviously with Chris Johnson, you know, he's going to get a majority of the carries carries in Tennessee. Do you Are you buying into Chris Johnson as a top six fantasy player this year? Yeah, I'm probably one of those people that has him uh, sky high. I'm, and in fact, I just posted a story here where um, I was talking about how Mo Jones was taken seventh in a mock and Chris Johnson went sixth. As much as I have Chris Johnson fifth overall in terms of running backs, but I would still probably take MJD ahead of him uh, because MJD has averaged 48 catches in the last four years and he's the reigning uh, rushing king throughout the NFL. So I would give him the benefit of doubt in that aspect. But at the same time, I've been a big believer of Chris Johnson since the day, the first day, uh, well, the second game of his preseason in what his rookie year, which was 08, where he literally ran past 11 Rams as if they weren't even there for a touchdown. And, uh, you know, I felt validated in the 2,000-yard season. I was a little critical of him the year after because I thought he would have the natural drop, and I just didn't think – you know, he just didn't seem like the preparations. And then last year, the contract dispute. So, I, I, given I, I don't look at words, I look at actions when it comes to players. And he has made some boasts this year about how he wants to be a two thousand yard guy. That's great. But at the same time, he's been showing up at camps. He's been hired. He hired a personal trainer. He's been doing everything they wanted because he knows that he has a real opportunity here to not only cement his standing amongst the best running backs from this year and maybe in the next five years, but if he really gets that going, he could be like a potential Hall of Famer someday. And if you can get two 2,000-yard rushing seasons, that, that would go a long way towards cementing that. So I have to think maturity is finally catching up with him, and I would love his chances, if healthy, for something around 1,700 yards this year uh, with at least uh, eight touchdowns. You know, based on what we've seen from him last year with his holdout, are you going to drop guys like um, Forte or Jones Drew if they get into prolonged holdouts this year based on what you've seen from Johnson last year? Oh, that, that, that's an excellent question because I, I look at it two ways. Um, 
bunch of people ask me questions in May and June. My answer is whatever date that is. Say it's May 28th. I don't care. Okay. But when it starts cutting into holdout time, and you could say, well, running backs don't really need to be there because there's minimal responsibilities in terms of blocking and running. But you have to, like, when you miss when you miss time as running back. I always worry about them. When you come back, the very first thing is you're going to pull a hamstring because you're just not ready to the physical level that you should be. You can work out all you want, but you're just not ready to compete. And, you know, it's, it's always something, even dating back to Larry Johnson in 2007, he had a really slow start that year. And it's I, I don't attribute it to training camp solely, but at the same time, it just puts things off on the wrong foot. So if we're talking about Forte and, and Ray Rice on August 5th, then I would downgrade them, not so much like a round or two, but definitely bump guys up that are there every day in training camp and working their butts off. And, uh, you know, it's funny because if a guy gets hurt in training camp and, say, he misses three weeks with the sprained knee, you don't, you don't bat an eye. You're like, okay, he'll be back in week four. But if people could freak out about a guy missing all of training camp but actually being there reasonably healthy for week one. So you've you got to be kind of delicate, and it's one of those things where you literally just kind of do it on a case-by-case basis. You know, it seems to me like Foster, McCoy, and Rice have kind of separated themselves as the top three players in this year's draft um, in some order. If I'll you, buy that. Okay, if you can't draft any of those three guys, are you going to start thinking quarterback, or who who are kind of your next three? Okay, when we do this, we're, we're assuming standard scoring goals. Sure. If it was PPR, yep. mm-hmm. you know, maybe something. If it was touchdown heavy, probably different. But right now... Uh, as much as I love MJD as the fourth, and he could easily be a top three running back by season's end, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers or Calvin probably ahead of MJD in a standard draft. Like, I, I love, I, I will always be a guy who defends running backs. Uh, and so, uh, if I, if my thing I want, I want to get at least two running backs in the first three rounds, and ideally I'd like to get four in the first six or seven picks. So, Taking a running back in round one certainly goes a long way toward that. But at the same time, Aaron Rodgers is easily the safest guy for coming maybe 90 to 95% of what he accomplished last year of the top 10 guys. Because he's not going to have 48 total touchdowns like he had last year. But I certainly like his odds of getting 4,600 yards in a 16-game season. And I love his chances of at least 40 to 43 touchdowns. And give me that at, at the, with the what, number four, number five pick. And I'll gladly take that and just take that gamble that I've done all my homework for every round, 2 through 16, that I can find the running backs to kind of supplement Rodgers. So I, as much as I love MJD, I'm taking Rodgers and Calvin ahead of him. You know, every year I think that there's a guy or two that, regardless of how people have them ranked, I know that they're not going to end up on my team. Are there any guys that you've kind of got your, your, your radar on right now that you, th- you're, you're just, you really don't want any part of? It's so funny that you brought this up because, you know, I've got a million, NFL, not a million, but a bunch of NFL entries in the last month on the fancy blog. So it's hard for me to kind of predict what kind of questions you're asking. So just to be safe, I pulled off the top 75 uh, list that I did a few weeks ago after Memorial Day. And while I rank guys very highly, there is probably a 0% chance I'm going to take Drew Brees in any league this year. Um, given the uncertainty of what he's going through and just the whole bad karma thing that's going over the Saints. And would I take Breeze in round two? Gladly. But I, I just have a feeling he's going to be gone in round one every single time. Uh, I've done a lot of mock simulations. I've written a lot of articles. I've done a lot of mock drafts, even in the last, you know, 10, 15 days. 
and uh, looking at the list, like the top 50 list, of, we're talking super studs, there's probably a good chance I'm not going to have Drew Brees in any league this year because if I'm taking a uh, quarterback in round one, it's going to be Rodgers. And if I and if I we're at the bottom of round one, I'm probably going running back like Jeremy said, Matt Forte, Chris Johnson, um, maybe even Gronkowski in, in certain situations. Uh, Marshawn Lynch is another guy in round two. I love him. He, you know, he he helped me big time in two leagues last year. But at the same time, you know, ten games last year of of touchdown, and I just don't see that success replicating itself. He can easily rush for twelve, thirteen hundred yards this year, but I, I just don't see him pulling down more than eight uh, touchdowns, especially with Seattle's improved passing game. And I'm going on the assumption this year, uh, albeit somewhat misguided. It, that uh, Sidney Rice will be healthy for at least 14 to 16 games this year. So as much as I love those two guys, I just don't see myself taking them in a standard scoring situation just because they're tweeners at their position. If I, if you could tell me Drew Brees would be there at round three, I would gladly hold off on Stafford and or Brady in round one or Cameron Newton in round two. And if you could tell me that Lynch would be there in round three or four, I would gladly wait uh, and Roy Hillu or somebody like that, you know, or maybe not keep those guys. Uh, so it, it's a crapshoot. Uh, we're still early in the process, but those two guys stand out as guys that I probably won't be taking at all in any standard scoring situation. You know, at this time of the year, one thing everybody loves to talk about is sleepers. You know, sleepers can sometimes win leagues, and I've heard a lot of people, based on the potential of Mendenhall starting on PUP, mention Isaac Redman as a potential sleeper. Who are some guys that you have in mind as potential guys you can get in later rounds that can be producing at much higher talent rate? Well, I don't mean to turn the question around, but what's your definition of a sleeper? Because when I think of a sleeper, I think some guy maybe after six round six. But some people's definition of a sleeper is somebody like after round 12. And Josh Freeman is is obviously a known quantity. And last year he was probably around eight pick or something like that based on his incredible touchdown to uh, interception ratio the year before. But Josh Freeman is consistently going after round 12 in drafts this year. So while you, we could think of some obscure name who's going to have a great season, both him and Andy Dalton and Joe Flacco are really falling on boards because so many people, especially guys who take, when you take a quarterback high in round one or two or three, uh, proportionally you're going to probably wait until round 12, 13, or 14 to get a quarterback. So if you have a situation to get Josh Freeman as your quarterback, unless you have Stafford since they have the same bye week, he's perfect. But if we're talking like a super sleeper, uh, guys like Titus Young, uh, Broncos running back Ronnie Hillman, those guys could have serious impact this year and I always try to think of like sleepers as how I would look at them next year. Next year this time next year, Ronnie Hillman could be a top thirty pick overall, uh assuming Denver doesn't have uh McGahey as the running back next year. Do you trust are you willing to trust Javid Best at all? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, this isn't a this isn't a Lions Detroit thing to me. Uh he averaged something in the realm I don't have it in front of me, but something like 107 total yards in games that he was healthy last year. Obviously, the concussions are an issue. Uh, you know, he you know he could blow out his knee tomorrow and things like that. But I, I take the attitude that he's young enough uh, where hopefully the concussions won't bother him. And and if he has another setback, so be it. I you know I I don't like to assume injury with people, especially guys who are under 25. And head injuries are important, but at the same time, it's not like a blown knee where you know the guy is going to be affected the next year because he won't be able to run. You know, I assume 
Javi best can run full speed right now. And if that's the case, then I'm certainly going to get him somewhere in the 80s. I, I had a mock draft today where he fell at 75, and I was willing to take him at number 76. So my range for him is 76 to 90. Hopefully it's on the on the late end of that bubble. But I have no concerns about him fulfilling his destiny as at least a number 22 back overall. The Sportscasters are here with Jay Clemens, the lead fantasy writer at Bleacher Report. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. He's at ATL underscore J-A-Y-C-L-E-M-O-N-S. A uh, couple more questions uh, fantasy-wise. Obviously, everyone's kind of focusing in on Trent Richardson as the top rookie this year, and maybe after that, Doug Martin for Tampa Bay. Are there any other rookies that you're interested in trying to get on one of your teams this year? I took a lot of flack for having Doug Martin over LeGarrette Blunt in my top 30 running back rankings from a few weeks ago. One guy, and I, I don't want to compare LeGarrette Blunt to Ernest Graham, but it's there because we're talking about two bulky backs that played for Tampa Bay, had kind of uh, out, of no, out of nowhere great years, and then they just kind of regressed to what you thought they would be. There's a reason why, and I know LeGarrette Blunt had troubles at Oregon, the whole punch at Boise State well-documented, but there's also a reason why he wasn't drafted, period, over seven rounds. People just didn't view him as a long-term viable option as a running back, you know, if you need a yard, if you need a goal, you know, if you need a fourth and one situation with the goal line, he's perfect. But Doug Martin has all the qualities that you want in a running back. And Greg Schiano, his track record, we already know that he's going to play the guy who has, uh, you know, that that bout, that that balance of power, versatility, and can catch the ball in the backfield. And I'm not saying uh, Doug Martin will evolve into Ray Rice, but I think you can make a correlation that. Uh, somewhere below our expectations, first-year expectations for Matt Forte and Rice, I would put Martin just below that. So I love his potential, especially in an offense where the receivers and uh, tight end, if Dallas Clark looks good, will command a lot of attention, limiting the amount of times that eight men are in the box against Tampa. You know, I was looking, I believe it was the Sports Illustrated Fantasy Football Magazine, which I do like. It's a great magazine for fantasy football. Oh, they they were able to press on without me. Yeah, they were somehow. I don't know. You could see the the drop-off, though. Uh, (laughs) And and here's why. At wide receiver, number two, they have Victor Cruz. I know he had a fantastic season last year, but are you buying him as better than Larry Fitzgerald, better than Andre Johnson? Johnson, Calvin Johnson was number one, then Victor Cruz. Can, can you see him uh, living up to that? Absolutely not. I know Hakeem Nix's injury helped Cruz, without a doubt, and I fully acknowledge that um, my rankings for Cruz probably went up uh, two or three slots. No big deal. But here's the deal. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he had something in the neighborhood of what do you have. He had eight or nine touchdowns last year, and I believe five of them were 50 yards or more. He had two touchdowns last year. He had a 99-yarder against the Jets. And he had some, like an 82-yard or something like that. It's just impossible to believe that Victor Cruz will have long touchdowns like that. I, I don't, I'm not doubting his ability to catch 85 balls. I'm not doubting his ability to get maybe 11, 1,200 yards. But he's just not going to have the touchdown of good fortune that he had last year. Those fortuitous bounces may come again, but they don't necessarily happen in back-to-back seasons. So I, I love him. He's a great top-ten receiver, but I would pretty much just kind of uh, roll my eyes at anybody that took him as a number-two receiver, especially over Larry Fitzgerald, as if, I, as if we keep learning this lesson every year. You don't bench right. Larry Fitzgerald, and you certainly don't pass on him for Victor Cruz. 
All right, let's kind of end with this. So everybody talks about strategy with fantasy football. You know, well, my strategy for years, I have to draft a running back in the first round. Or my strategy is I um, never draft a quarterback until round 12 or something like that. If we get to pick the mind of one of the one of the great fantasy writers in the United States of America and, and find out what the winning fantasy football strategy is, what would you say? Lay it out for us. You know what? I, I've evolved as a person. I, I'm not as pig-headed as I used to be. Just two years ago, I refused to take a quarterback in round one. Because, I, when Tom, okay, here's a good story, and I don't know how much time you have. But the year Tom time. Brady threw uh, 50 touchdowns, 07. Right. And then 08, he got hurt. In 09, uh, I took uh, Sports Illustrated in that same magazine that you just referenced, took some heat, and I didn't, these weren't my rankings, but the guy who did it, David Sabino, had... Brady is a number seven receiver, um, number seven quarterback, and the Washington Post actually called me to defend his ranking, and I pointed out that Brady had never thrown more than twenty six touchdowns in a season. So, w- what makes you think he's going to throw for forty? You know, let alone fifty. And so, but Aaron Rodgers kind of changed that thinking. Drew Brees helped me change that thinking, where these guys consistently threw for over forty six hundred yards and something around forty touchdowns in that neighborhood, that magical neighborhood of forty is all I really care about. Anything you get after that is gravy. So I've learned over time that, that quarterbacks can can be difference makers in round one. So I'm not so pig-headed about that. Uh, if I had a strategy, though, for standard scoring leagues, I absolutely have to get four running backs in the first six rounds. And if it's possible, I would like to have all five running backs by round nine. Um, traditionally, I'm a handcuff guy. So I'm going to take Roy Hillu in pretty much every draft this year, round four or five. And so, by extension, I'm going to end up with Evan Royster, but I don't need to necessarily reach for Evan Royster. Unless he has a great preseason, I can pretty much get him at round 12 or 13, you know, something like that. Right. For everything else, um, it's just about balance. Uh, if you're doing PPR drafts, that's completely different where I'm going to go heavy on receivers, probably four in the first seven rounds. But just I just want balance and standard scoring. If I take a running back and I take a receiver, then, you know, that I go receiver or running back next time. I just want to be put in that position where I don't feel I have to reach for a position, you know, outside of kicker and defense in a draft when I'm doing the standard. I, I let every single time, every time I do a draft, I let people fall to me. I look at value with every single pick. There are times when I'll reach, but when we're talking about a reach, we're talking about maybe three or four slots. I will never reach one round over what a guy's prescribed value should be because if I'm going to do – you know, 40 mocks in the summertime, if I'm going to look at ADP rankings every single day for three months straight, why would I deviate against what those rankings tell me come draft day? It just, it just doesn't make any sense. Why put in all that time if you're just going to reach for people? And I traditionally don't reach. All right. It's Jay Clemens. He's at Bleacher Report. You can find him on Twitter at ATL underscore Jay Clemens. Before we let you go, why don't you just tell us it's your first it's going to be your first fantasy football season at Bleacher Report. What, what kind of plans do you have for uh, attacking this fantasy football season? I think attack is the perfect word. You know, obviously I'm busy doing baseball and football, you know, separately. Right. And obviously baseball gets a lot of attention right now, and that's great. But I, I see the numbers um, averaging something like 35,000 hits a week. And two weeks, two weeks ago, it was in around 28. So people are starting to get excited about football. Uh, whether they're doing mock drafts or they're just uh, buying magazines or they're just consuming more info. So I will try to match that intensity 
by going balls out pretty much every single day. I'm going to Vegas for a bachelor party here in a couple of weeks, and then I'm, I'm going to be in Michigan for my, uh, for my dad's 70th birthday party. But outside of that, you can pretty much depend on me hitting NFL, answering questions on Twitter, whatever it takes every single day. I like to think that that's what I do really well, so why not do it every day as much as I can? We we'll look forward to it. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Hey, anytime. I appreciate it very much. They lost 19 to 26. That's shitty. <laughs> yeah. All right, I want to thank Jay Clemens from Bleacher Report for talking fantasy football with us. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show today, episode 13 of the Football Nation Sportscasters podcast. Feel free to email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com, if there's anything you're looking forward to in the future. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, excuse me, at sports underscore casters. You can also follow Football Nation at FBallNation. Uh, don't forget to check out season two, episode 25 of the Sportscasters proper featuring interviews with Jeff Passan, Atto Bolden, and Rob Misch, uh, www.sports-casters.com, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes. Uh, last piece of business for today is this week on footballnation.com. Don, why don't you lead us off? What is interesting on the site to read? All right, there's a short article here by Joel Tradian. Uh, he looks like he's a Lions fan. And... It's like I said, it's a short and sweet article. It's about the bounty scandal and how the NFL has kind of played their hand a little bit. Um, and it's an interesting perspective because the evidence that they've shown tends to be weak, and it seems to be coming out more and more that the evidence. Yeah, that I've seen is, it graded really poorly by uh, someone on CBS Sportsline. So they either a have acted on inference, and now are going to have to face legal issues that they're going to have with like Jonathan Vilma for uh, defamation of character and that type of thing. And if it really is as weak as it sounds, they, there's a good shot they lose those cases. Or, for whatever reason, they're withholding other evidence that, for whatever reason, they wanted to withhold, and now they're going to have to come forward with it. So it'll be interesting from an entertainment standpoint why they've withheld this evidence that they have withheld, if they've withheld anything. And if they haven't, then why they went guns blazing with the weak evidence they did have. Part of me thinks that they, this got out and the media went nuts with it and they had to do what they had to do to protect themselves in future lawsuits. Yeah. And if it means losing a defamation lawsuit to one or two players, it's better than being liable for not protecting players in 30,000 lawsuits that are coming in the future. And that's, that's a literal number. Like right now, I believe there's something like 3,000 lawsuits against the league by X players. I mean, I don't know how many X players there are, but it can't be all that. I mean, it seems like a good majority of X players are involved in uh, injury-related lawsuits. So it's an interesting take on what the league has done up to this point. It seemed like at the beginning, like, okay, the league's doing the right thing. They're taking a hard stand against this but now it seems like they're taking a hard stand against something that might might have been on shaky grounds all right my article today is by a guy named anthony king not peter king but anthony king uh he's had 125 articles in the past 
And somehow this article set a Football Nation record for 29,744 page views. That's insane. So congratulations to Anthony. He must have got linked by somebody. Yeah, we need his PR guy. Yeah, but uh, really a great job. The article's the 10 most questionable moves of the offseason. And I got to say, I disagree with almost all of them. <laughs> uh, definitely the Bills giving Mario Williams a ton of cash is something I disagree with. I disagree with the first two. Money-related stuff. In football, if you hear guys like, uh, who was the one last year or two years ago? Albert Hainsworth got that monster contract from Washington. A, that's not my money. I don't, I don't care that they're giving them these huge bonuses. So even if you get burned on it, this isn't hockey. This isn't bas- basketball to some extent where these contracts are hard to get out from under. Right, not baseball. Right. You just cut a guy and you pay him nothing. Or, I mean, other than the bonus. But, again, that's not my money and it doesn't affect the cap. So, I never worry about numbers when it comes to A couple others he football. had is the Patriots letting go of the law firm. I think they'll bounce back from that. Uh, also, he said Chad Ojocinco being released by the Patriots was a mistake. I, I disagree with that. He was completely irrelevant there. And no team's willing to give T.O. a shot is is a mistake. Uh, T.O. got cut by an Arena Football League team, <laughs> sir. Uh, so... I don't know. I, I disagree with a lot of it, but congratulations for setting the Football Nation yeah. record and bringing so much, so many eyeballs to the site. Like I said, we do this because we feel a sense of community and being in this together. So congratulations to Anthony King for doing a great job. I drafted Stephen Ridley, I believe. There were two guys that had huge off-seasons. Stephen Ridley last year. Two rookies they had. Stephen Ridley and some other kid. I think right. they were both drafted the same year. I drafted Stephen Ridley in a lot of leagues. Uh, maybe that was one year premature. One more premature. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe he he emerges. But I, I just really surprised, like, the T.O. thing. Like, who would want T.O. to get a shot? Like, who, who's T.O.? T.O.'s an odd guy because, like with the Buffalo Bills, T.O.'s the type of guy you go after if you think you need something to get over the hump. The Bills didn't need that when they picked him up. So... And if you're a contender and you feel like you need that to get over the hump, then he's almost not worth the risk. Like, where would where would he fit, I guess, is the question. The fact that nobody's taking a chance on him maybe is a little bit, a tiny bit questionable because he, he does seem to have some skill. Yeah, but his arena football career just ended. I mean, <laughs> an arena team, it's Shade Vereen was the other running back. That's right, that's right. And they have Joseph Adai there now as well. Yeah, and so Danny Woodhead. So they'll be fine don't, without Don't, don't draft any Patriots running backs this year, I guess. All right. Thanks again to Jay Clemens. We'll be back next week. Let's go to California. Spend my days with a woman unkind. Smoke my stuff.